Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part six in the series, Season of the Spirit, Season of the Flesh. Paul says that the Spirit of God forms in us goodness and faithfulness. But in our context, those aren't the most flashy or exciting ideas. So what did Paul mean by goodness? What did he mean by faithfulness? And what does it look like as the Spirit is forming those things in us? Hey, thanks for listening to this teaching. Normally you'd be hearing this recording from our Sunday gathering, but with the hazardous smoke levels and the amount of smoke in the church building, we had to cancel our Sunday gathering. So I get to record this teaching from the comfort of the church studio. Man, uh, 2020 has been quite a year. But I am grateful that we can still study the scriptures together. So let me pray over you as the listener before we get into the teaching. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with me as I record this teaching, and thank you that you are there with each listener of this teaching. Would you speak to all of us through the scriptures? Would you draw us into your presence and into your love more deeply? We love you. Amen. If you're able to, go ahead and grab your Bible and be ready to flip around in it a bit, and we're going to start reading in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 together. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. For the last handful of weeks, we've been making our way through what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, word by word. A somewhat common way the fruit of the Spirit is presented is as a list of commands to obey or virtues to achieve. Muster all your willpower and just do it. Love people, have joy, and have peace, be patient, always be kind, and so forth. But that's not what Paul is teaching the Galatians Galatians or us to do. Instead, Paul's command to followers of Jesus comes in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When we keep in step with the Spirit, the pull of the Spirit, the direction he leads in is what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. In essence, this is what it looks like when you keep in step with the Spirit over time. We do have a role to play in in all this. We do participate in the fruit of the Spirit. It's important to know what the fruit of the Spirit is and what it can look like for us, but that goes far beyond willpower and mustering up the gumption to manifest what the Spirit does on your own. If you've missed any of the teachings from the series, they're on the podcast, please catch up on them. So today we're covering goodness and faithfulness, which, if we can be honest, a description of a person being good and faithful sounds a bit underwhelming. 
that description sounds more appropriate for like a really old car that still reliably gets you from point A to point B. I drive, I, I drive one of those cars. Uh, it's 16 years old. It has almost 220,000 miles on it, and it makes a lot of noises that don't sound very good, but it still turns on and gets me to work and back home. It's been a good and faithful car goodness and faithfulness it, it, it it's a little vanilla at least how the words are tossed around or aren't tossed around in popular usage so we have to do a bit of work to understand what paul meant when he used the greek words agathosune and pistis translated as goodness and faithfulness in english let's talk about the word goodness and how the concept of goodness is used in our present cultural setting so imagine there's a new restaurant opening in Vancouver that you're really excited to try. You haven't been able to try it out yet, but one of your friends has. So you ask them, how was it? What, what did you order? And you know, your friend provides you with an appealing description of the food, and the verdict was, it was good. Now, depending on the tone and the inflection of your friend's voice, it may range from solid to mediocre. It was good. It was good. Eh, it was good. Not great, not amazing, just good. In our culture, good lives in the same neighborhood as the word fine. Good is acceptable, but not exciting, not inspiring, not conquering. I saw this week a business book entitled Good to Great. Three million copies of it were sold. A good business isn't good anymore. It needs to be great. If we're talking about ethics, about what's acceptable behavior, what makes a person good is really up to the individual. As long as the behavior isn't illegal, unless, you know, uh, the person thinks it should be legal, and, and as long as nobody's getting hurt, then it's good, acceptable, fine, just as long as they're happy. Good is fine. And goodness is up to the individual to decide with no objective foundation for goodness. Paul doesn't use the word agathosune with all of that baggage. So turn over in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. The word Paul uses in Greek is an interesting one, agathosune. It's not a common word inside or outside the Bible, but its synonym is found in places like Genesis 1. This is the story of creation, of God pushing back chaos and creating beauty and order and life. Look down at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. Skip down to verse 10. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Skip down to verse 12. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. This line repeats throughout the creation narrative. God saw that it was good. The work of the Spirit to bring out goodness in the follower of Jesus echoes with the purpose of God for creation. Beauty, vitality, life, order, flourishing. 
But that goodness flows from God himself, from who he is. God is the grounding for what goodness is. And humanity, made in the image of God, is to be in relationship with the Creator God, reflecting goodness back to Him and to His creation. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. They took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of what? The knowledge of good, same word from chapter 1, and evil. Adam and Eve try to grasp the power from God to define good and evil. And in enters sin, the marring and vandalizing of God's good creation as destruction, chaos, and death reign. But God's goodness remains. And God's goodness points to his perfection. He doesn't make mistakes or fly into a rage and say things he wish he hadn't. In terms my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter Posey can understand, God is not a bad guy. But there can be more nuance to it than that, right? Uh, Most people don't think God's completely a bad guy, maybe just a little bit, or maybe just sometimes, or maybe just to them at times. I've struggled to explain to Posey how sometimes in stories, bad guys become good guys by the end, and she's been really confused at times because she'll have seen a movie or show or book, knows that the bad guy becomes a good guy, but that uh, good guy is doing bad stuff before he becomes a good guy. So she's saying, why is that good guy doing bad stuff? The nuance of the world is a challenging thing for a three-year-old's brain. So I have created a temporary fix, and I have explained that people who start out as bad guys and then become good guys, well, they're really just actually grumpy good guys. You know, so why is it that good guys do bad things? Well, they're just grumpy. God is not a grumpy good guy. Never has been, never will be. He is good. And God's goodness moves against the badness of sin and death and destruction redemptively. God's goodness is redemptive at its core. God rescues the sinner, the hurting, the broken, the abused, the lonely. God will rescue creation. So for us, goodness in Paul's imagination speaks to the core of who you are as his image bearer who he created you to be. Goodness for Paul is redemptive by nature. We partner with God in his work of rescuing people and creation. But two things that goodness is not. Goodness is not moral superiority. It's not the ability to compare yourself to others. It's Not to identify the people who grind your gears and see the ways that you are better than they are. It's the opposite, quite frankly. Since goodness has its source in God, the only appropriate comparison there is to make is us to God. And we lose that comparison every single time. As a follower of Jesus, uh, goodness goes hand in hand with humility. Let me read you the story Jesus told as recorded in Luke's biography. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Goodness is not moral superiority. Second, goodness is also not idealism or misplaced optimism. Goodness does not pretend like everything is good or always will be good. Goodness does not mean an an intentional ignorance to any and all evil. Goodness, because it is grounded in who God is, manifests itself as patiently and methodically confrontational against evil, sin, brokenness, corruption, destruction, and death. It does not respond with despair or cynicism or detachment. It responds redemptively as God has done and continues to do. All of that is what is encompassed when Paul uses the word agathosune. So then Paul also uses the word faithfulness or pistis in the Greek. Whereas goodness is used so much that it has become watered down, faithfulness is a subtly taboo concept. Faithfulness has been replaced by individualism and the self-centered pragmatism of things that are explained as self-actualization or do what makes you happy or the fear of missing out. Faithfulness is used to describe things like machines and animals way more often than people. Instead, divorces celebrated, deconversions make national news, and the practice of ghosting a relationship or even a job is fairly common. Really, quitting most any commitment can be and often is spun to actually be a good thing. Faithlessness captures the hearts and attention of our culture. Faithlessness is held up as being authentic or taking care of yourself or the way to find happiness. Faithlessness is celebrated. So then what does it mean that the Spirit will draw us towards faithfulness? What does Paul mean when he uses the word pistis? In the Old Testament, the word faithfulness was a word picture of pillars holding up a building, the idea being you know, sturdiness, strength, firmness. And in the Old Testament, God is the faithful God of Israel. Despite the many failures and rebellions of Israel against God, he remains faithful. So turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In verse 7, Moses said this to Israel to remind them of who their God is. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7. Starting in verse 7, Moses said, Yahweh did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, meaning it's not because Israel is awesome that God chose them. 
but it was because Yahweh loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and, a, and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that Yahweh, your God, is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is the faithful God. In the New Testament, pistis carries with it the potential meaning of trustworthiness or loyalty or allegiance, but it has more to do with than uh, it has it, it has more to do with just behavior. At its core, pistis is a relational term. The concept of marriage is often held up as the picture of faithfulness. God as the bridegroom and his people as the bride. God is faithful to his bride and he calls his bride to be faithful to him. It is a call to relational fidelity. And because faithfulness for the follower of Jesus is at its core a relational idea, think of it more in terms of functional dependence on God rather than just simply obedience. So ask yourself this question. What do you do when you are di deeply distressed or in pain? Does your time watching Netflix increase? Do you break out the comfort food to an excessive amount? Do you scramble to busy yourself in order to ignore the issue? Or do you stop and turn your whole attention and being towards Jesus who deeply loves you and cares for you? Do you call out to him and wait for him to speak and act? Functional dependency on God can be challenging for all of us, myself very much included in that. What can that even look like? Generally speaking, we live our lives as functionally dependent on something like money. With money, we can pay bills. With money, we can buy food. With money, we can see a doctor. With money, we can see a therapist. With money, we can go on vacation, buy a house, buy a car. And none of that is bad per se. We live our lives working certain jobs in order to make enough money. We try to position and prepare ourselves for certain careers that pay enough or more than enough. We learn to invest money in a 401k for our retirement. We, in theory, learn how to do a budget and spend time balancing that budget. Again, none of that is bad. I bring that all up to give us a paradigm for what functional dependence can look like the time investment, care, concern, intentionality, thoughtfulness, strategic thinking, the practicing and the, and the learning that revolves around money, how to earn it and how to use it wisely. As someone who is functionally dependent on God, you take time to pray and, and read the scriptures because you are not enough on your own. You need God's wisdom and his power and his direction and his comfort and, and life to the fullest with him. You need those things. You show up to community every week because you need help following Jesus. And you need to help others follow Jesus. Your presence and participation matters. You show up to church in person or via the live stream every week because you need to be led into worship uh, of God, recentering on him. 
you need to continually learn from the scriptures. You need to actively remember the death of Jesus on your behalf through taking communion. You need a time and space to encounter God's spirit with your brothers and sisters. You are dependent on God, whether you live like it or not. The Spirit leads us away from self-sufficiency and autonomy and into a greater functional dependence, or another way to think of it is a greater neediness for God. But self-sufficiency and autonomy are highly valued and respected in our culture. Try to think of a time when someone was described as needy in a positive way. Usually neediness is a cause for distancing or ending a relationship, right or wrong, but not so with God. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. It's John chapter 15, starting in verse 5. Jesus spoke these words over his disciples the night before his execution. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Neediness for God is a demonstration of our apprenticeship to Jesus and something that honors God and bears much fruit. God is faithful or trustworthy in all he says and does. The Holy Spirit leads us to be faithful to or functionally dependent on God with the entirety of our lives. So, am I essentially telling you, read your Bible and pray more and God will make you good and faithful? Is it that straightforward and simple? Well, definitely not. And kind of yes, but, but before we talk about that, I want you to see this as a loving, gracious, generous invitation by God. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul wrote to a bunch of really dysfunctional Christians in the city of Corinth. He wrote this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. The work of the Spirit in your life, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, is the Spirit drawing out of you who you really are, a new creation. That is the truest thing about you, whether you feel it right now or not. This isn't some idealistic proposal that creates cookie-cutter, good, and faithful humans. This is the active, dynamic, at times completely mysterious action of the Holy Spirit working out a specific and unique-to-you move of new creation. What does goodness and faithfulness look like for me, uh, a 32-year-old seminary student that has a wife and two little girls? Probably has some similarities to what it looks like for you. Maybe a lot of similarities, but it won't be exactly the same, and it shouldn't. So over time, 
the Spirit fills you with agathosune, that purposeful, beautiful, redemptive goodness that wells up inside of you to the point of overflowing. When the Spirit draws you into reflecting God to the world around you as a mom or business owner or student or dad or coworker or boss, you are closer to who you truly are according to God and what you are meant to be. When the Spirit forms you with pistis, a willingness to acknowledge and, and embrace your dependence on God, when you live life as if God is trustworthy in every aspect of your life, when risk and boldness and courage and sacrifice and vulnerability and patience are common features of your apprenticeship to Jesus, then you are seeing the new creation breaking into reality and the old passing away. That is what God, through his spirit, wants to do in you. That is what happens when you keep in step with the spirit. Because he loves you. And because he loves the world. And he loves your neighborhood. And he loves your workplace. And he loves this church, Van City Church. And he loves your friends. And he loves your family. He loves the city of Vancouver. And he loves the forests. And he loves the, the rivers. And he, he loves the animals. God has chosen to act redemptively in the world through you. And to meet the world with redemptive goodness, to live purposefully and to bring about beauty in your relationships and work and life, it's a really large, daunting task. There's a lot of bad in the world. There's a lot of evil, injustice, brokenness, humans made in God's image who are hopeless and helpless people without any form of shelter, children without food, humans gunning down other humans in cold blood. And so to live out goodness as the Spirit works it in us and through us, we have to be faithful to Jesus. We have to be functionally dependent on him because Lord knows we cannot meet the badness of, of this world on our own. The evil and injustice and brokenness and pain in our friends and our families' lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city. We can't do it on our own. And praise be to God that he doesn't ask us to. So again, to the question, do I just read my Bible and pray and all this just happens? We're a church that continually emphasizes the practicing of spiritual disciplines. Our Sunday gathering and small groups are formed around this idea, but I think we also need to continually remind ourselves that practicing spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible, praying, community, fasting, silence and solitude, and what have you, they are a means to an end. They are the vessel or tool we use to draw close to, to the God who loves us. They are the tools we use to open ourselves before him in vulnerability, to, to listen for him, to learn to love him and love others more and more. They are one of the most important ways we live as though we are functionally dependent on God. So no, checking the box of Bible reading and prayer every morning does not form in you goodness and faithfulness. Meeting with Jesus 
opening yourself to his spirit, allowing him to speak or to just be in his presence through Bible reading and prayer every morning and a host of other spiritual disciplines that we've talked about, that will allow you you to be transformed by him. And he is faithful to do it. So, read your Bible and pray. Participate in the gathering. Go to your Van City community every week and participate with intentionality. Or join a Van City community with other men and women who are doing their best to keep in step with the Spirit and to help one another to do so as well. Uh, Practice silence and solitude. Fast. Uh, Invite those far from God to follow Jesus. Do justice. Practice the spiritual disciplines so that you may keep in step with the Spirit and that He may produce goodness and faithfulness in you. 2020, what a year. But in the context of this year, with life being upended, the uncertainty of so much, you know, the heartache and pain of injustice, sickness, death, job loss, political upheaval, now wildfires, on top of all the sadly normal pain and suffering, I think in 2020, the words of Jesus for his people are all the more needed. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As this teaching ends, and before you move on to whatever is next in your day, take a few minutes and allow the Spirit to speak to you. Holy Spirit, here we are. We're listening. What do you want to say to us? Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church/give.